of the Sacred Feminine Radio, where we're busy going about manifesting a new normal here, where we speak about the rise of values we've labeled feminine and how these ideas can create a better quality of life for women, men, species on the planet, and Mother Earth. Some call this uh, working toward a new uh, and awakened paradigm shift. Others uh, call it uh, working toward that hundredth monkey or shifting the morphic field. Whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to label it, you, me, and my guest, we believe it's possible. With solidarity, tenacity, vision, activism, partnership, and a willingness and courage to demand better outcomes and methods, particularly using sacred feminine liberation theology, which I've written about in my two books, Goddess Calling and Voices of the Sacred Feminine, we're on the road to making it happen. Can you hear our sacred roar? Well, thanks for tuning in each week to listen, to share, and be inspired. And thanks for all your emails of support. May Goddess embrace you all in her golden wings. And again, thank you for being with me tonight. I know you have many other choices out there, and you continue to come back week in and week out, and you are truly the gas in my tank. And I want to say thanks, too, uh, to Lisa Thiel uh, for her uh, music that uh, we used tonight opening the show, uh, tonight's cut being called I Am Goddess. Please check out her music uh, on CD when you're looking to expand your musical library. Lisa has... L- just lots and lots of lovely, lovely songs out there I'm sure you'll enjoy. <clears throat> well, um, you might remember uh, I was off last week uh, getting my house painted and trying to get a bit of rest. Uh, for some fun, uh, Roy and I went to the Pacific Amphitheater uh, to hear the awesome Beatles tribute band, the Fab Four and Wings. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, we spent time looking at a lot of movies on Netflix Pinching pennies, you know. And, you know, I wonder really why anyone goes to the movies anymore. You can get um, Netflix for maybe $10 a month, lots of great movies and documentaries, pop your own popcorn and make your own snacks, and, you know, watch in the comfort of your home instead of paying 10 or $15 for a movie ticket and another 10 on concessions. You know, I I guess I kind of feel like unless it's date night, who can afford to go to the movies anymore? I mean, who would even want to? You know, very few of the $5 theaters, I think, are left in Los Angeles, if any at all. I wonder if it's like that where you live. 
And, you know, it really makes me think and wonder if we might soon see movie theaters become a thing of the past. Have you thought that, I wonder? Um, But switching over to television, I wonder if anyone watched the three-part show on Spike on the life of King Tut. Okay, okay, I know it wasn't a great story. They took a lot, lot, lot of creative license. But wow, the sets, the furniture, the clothes, the ritual accoutrement. Oh, my goddess, they were fabulous. I just kept watching for three nights uh, for that. And the crazy thing... While there's really just a dearth of information out there on Tut, one of the things we think we actually do know is how he was killed. We think maybe uh, there was a blow to his head, unless there's some information out there I'm, you know, falling behind on. But instead in the movie they had him dying of some leg injury he received in battle. I kept thinking, couldn't they have used one of the few facts that we do have in the movie? That was that was really weird. Um, but if you see it, come on again. Uh, check out the incredible costumes and sets, though. They must have spent a ton of money, and it was truly amazing. I sat there with my mouth open most of the time just uh, looking at the clothes and the sets. Um, we don't usually get to see really good Egyptian um stuff on TV very much. You know, it it really felt like a treat. And, you know, we got some really good things coming up soon. Uh, I have to admit I'm sort of um, focused on me right now and because uh, my birthday is coming up in a few weeks. Uh, this year I decided I'd like to spend it floating the day away on a lazy river at a hotel not too far away from where I live. I wonder if you've ever done that, um, those lazy rivers that they have at some of the hotels now where you can just lay in an inner tube with a sun hat on and your sunscreen and you just float round and round and round and round. It's really good during the week when there are no kids there and maybe it's only you and a few other adults in the lazy river and you can just float and float. It is so meditative. It is so nourishing. It is... rejuvenating so anyway i think that and a couple my ties might do the trick for my birthday Uh, i also have a gift card from a friend for a massage so that's how i'm going to be spending my birthday this year and there's more news uh the joseph campbell foundation is issuing a, a permanent charter for the two roundtables that I've started and organized in both uh, Venice Beach and Irvine, California. And coming up on September 5th in Irvine at the Goddess Temple of Orange County is a great presentation with tonight's guest, Jillian Cameron. You'll hear more about that in our interview. Then September 10th through 13th is the Goddess Spirit Rising Conference in Simi Valley, about an hour north of L.A. I've been talking about that for weeks, and if you mean to go, please don't hesitate. Register now. This is going to be a real top-drawer kind of event with comfortable accommodations, over 40 presenters from around the world, vendors, rituals, everything you could ask for. And it's open to everyone, women, men, those of fluid gender, you don't have to go for the whole weekend you don't have to pay to stay overnight you can go for the day and make it um, something that's affordable 
In fact, uh, tonight's guest, uh, Jillian Cameron, is on a panel with me and a mutual friend, Melody Friend. Yes, that's her name. And also Ava Park from the Goddess Temple. We're all going to be discussing the need to more readily embrace everyone within Goddess Spirituality. I'm also giving a presentation on Friday uh, calling Reawakening Our Earliest Sacred Stories. It is a writing and storytelling workshop. Then on September 26th, the Joseph Campbell Roundtable in Venice will have a presenter by the name of Michelle Hart. Uh, She is probably the foremost authority on the first woman poet and writer whose name was Enheduanna, who was a priestess of ancient times dating back to the days of Inanna and Ishtar. Uh, Michelle Hart uh, will be here on Voice of the Sacred Feminine on September 9th, and then a few weeks later, uh, presenting in person at the Venice Library, as I said, on September 26th. Then the Parliament of World Religion begins October 15th. Yep, that's on the calendar. I've been lucky enough to be chosen to give a talk and preside over a panel. So it is a busy fall. And the beginning of 2016 uh, will be even busier. There's the Pagan Conference in Claremont in January, Pantheacon in San Jose in February. And um, news is I'll be teaching all genders the first five classes of the Cakes for the Queen of Heaven curriculum, also in February in the San Fernando Valley. I think I'm tired already. So mark your calendars and save the dates if any of this stuff sounds like it's of interest to you. And if you didn't have a chance to write it all down um, and you don't want to play the show back, just email me and I'll tell you all these dates. And before I start tonight's interview, I have one last thing I I feel important to talk about. Uh, I want to say something about Bernie Sanders. Have you attended any of his rallies yet? Are you thinking of doing it? Are you watching the streaming uh, video of his rallies online? Well, please do. Um, You know, this past weekend he had record-breaking crowds in Portland and Los Angeles. Um, He's getting 25 to 30,000 people in attendance. He is getting more interest than any other presidential candidate. You know, you might already know because I've read some of what his platform is here on the air a few weeks ago, you know, what he promises to do, what he feels is important. But I really believe Bernie is our only real chance to have someone in the White House who isn't bought off or owes people things. Um, He's not a corporatist who isn't owned by people like Monsanto or the banks or the oil companies, check out Bernie Sanders if you have the time. You know, I know it's really early. Probably the last thing you want to do is think about politics. But, you know, if we can stand together in solidarity, we can get him elected. It just might make all the difference in the world if he gets into the White House with a referendum from people to make change. You know, I think people realize they um, have to stay engaged this time around instead of leave it to one man in the White House to carry the entire burden. We see that didn't work out so well with President Obama, who I voted for, And, you know, Republicans, uh, I am hearing many of them are turning to Bernie. If Bernie gets both the left and the right to vote for him instead of all this, you know, ongoing racism and obstructionism, the country can only benefit. We can only benefit if the dialogue changes to the tune I think Bernie's singing. So please, please check him out. 
And um, you might have heard the um, the awful news that uh, is all over the television today. Uh, we just learned that former President Jimmy Carter uh, has cancer. So please keep him in your thoughts. Uh, keep him in your prayers. He is about to start to undergo treatment. Uh, he's uh, in his 90s. You know, it's not a good time in life to be fighting something like cancer. So if we can surround him with good intentions and our prayers, you know, it's proven when people have a lot of people praying for him, there are good outcomes. You know, he is a guy who left his church because he believed um, they couldn't continue to discriminate against women, that the church was preventing women from reaching their fullest potential. You know, he's one of these guys that are really on our side. So please think about him, pray for him, you know, put his uh, put his name on your altar and uh, send him good thoughts and healing energy whenever you get a chance. And, uh, all right, I said the uh, this other thing was the final thing, but this is the one last thing before we begin tonight's interview. Uh, some very important housekeeping. Uh, even if you've hit the follow button on my show page before, hit it again. Seems some of the notifications were deleted, uh, some weird glitch with blog talk, uh, and you might not be getting notices uh, before the show uh, as you once had. Uh, so if you want to stay connected to Voices of the Sacred Feminine and um, you know stay a part of our little family and not miss the great guests uh, that um, come on each week, uh, you want to make sure you do that. So while we're thinking about it, if it's possible for you to do it while you're listening, uh, go ahead and hit the follow button right now or make yourself a note, you know, write up a post-it note and uh, do it as soon as the show is over. All right. Thank you so very much, everyone. And um, let me tell you a little bit about uh, tonight's show and tonight's guest. As you might have seen, our topic tonight is an important one. Uh, Transgender spirituality, the redemption of maligned wisdom. And our guest, Jillian Cameron, is a teacher, artist, storyteller, parent, and student of myth and archetype. As a trans woman, she also identifies as a mystic and magical being. Emanation of of the divine feminine sits pretty well with her also. Jillian has performed as a storyteller within the transgender and feminist spirituality communities, has taught high school English, and uh, she's a film teacher for 35 years. She sings interminable ballads and is the author and illustrator of Kello Grenant, I hope I pronounced that right, a webcomic about the adventures of an Arthurian knight coming to terms with who she is, which can be seen weekly at the Kello Grenant Dot com. So, Jillian, did I say that right? Kalogrenant? Uh, Kalogrenant. 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 Okay. And, and you know what? I don't know if you moved, but um, you're sounding far oh, away from me again. Okay. Is this any better? Um, better? A little better, but not the best. Okay. Let me see here. Okay. Is that any better? Well, the way you you when the way you were before we went on the air was was actually better. Uh, you said you were about eight inches away from whatever you um, were talking into. Know, getting used to the phone here. Hold on a sec. Okay. Yeah. Is that better? Yes, that is better. That is oh, better. Okay. 
All right. So um, now, so tell us again about uh, what is it, uh, Calo? Uh, I, you know, I forgot. I, I forgot where you put the uh, accent on that word. Uh, tell us about. I Calo usually Grenin. put the accent. Okay, I put the accent on the second syllable, Calogrenant. And Calogrenant is the story. It originates with a um, 13th century French romance called Clary et Léry. And uh, Calogrenant is a knight who's also known as Colgravance, who's always kind of a second fiddle, uh, second string knight, and the one who always ends up in, in trouble. And in the, uh, the little uh, excerpt that I had read of the romance, um, Calogrenant wanders into a castle, sees a beautiful maiden, and is transformed into that maiden. And now Calogrenant has to go out and find the three best knights in all the world in order to be changed back. And I said, I like that as the premise for a story, but I'm going to get rid of the last part. Instead of wanting to be changed back, this is what she has always wanted. The problem is, um, especially in the very first part of the story, in the first leg of the story, um, what happens when you get what you've always wanted, but at the price of what you've always worked for? And so she wants to remain a knight, but is that possible in the world in which she, ex uh, she exists? And I saw that as um, a way of looking at the trans experience without necessarily tying myself down to any one particular story in this world. Um, I'll say right now regarding the, the trans community, there are a million stories in the Naked City, and <laughs> I've not heard two uh, agendas that are exactly the same. Um, th uh, there's a lot of similarity from story to story, but everybody has a different experience and comes to this in a different way and deals with it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you know, um, you know, we, we've been friends a long time and, um, you know, it, you know, we, and when you became part of our community, um, you know, it felt like, you know, just the most natural thing in the world. I mean, you know, I, my, I personally didn't think twice about it. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you know, Roy and I's story. You know, for a long time, we, we lived in the French Quarter, and uh, you know, in New Orleans, and you know, we lived in a building that. Um, I, we were the only heterosexual co uh, couple. You know, we lived in a building that mm -hmm. was. Uh, you know, full of, um, of of gay and lesbian people and trans people. And, you know, we would go to some of the gay balls, which were the best Mardi Gras balls. And, um, you know, I guess we've always sort of been on the fringe of the fringe. You know, we're not, instead of being in the Christian community, we're in the pagan community. You know, we're, we're living in the gay part of town. I mean, I worked in a hotel and, you know, I, in, in, in racist, southern new orleans you know I, I work in a hotel and i'm the convention coordinator and you know i have to run a crew of a dozen black men you know and 
imagine that it's you know it, it, and and we work so well together and i guess it's because you know rather than perp- you know uh, perpetuating the you know the the racist elitism that so many you know white um, male managers would have upon these men you know i treated them like they were my team and they responded in kind you know so um i don't know i guess that my entire life i have sort of been uh, I guess I call it the fringe of the fringe. And, you know, it, it's just been so natural not to be part of the status quo. And uh, I, I can only imagine how difficult it must be um, as a trans person trying to fit somewhere in society. I mean, I know how hard it is for a woman with institutionalized um, sexism, but I think it's got to be probably doubly hard um, for for maybe uh, a trans person, maybe even harder than it is for a gay person, and um, I, I don't know. It, it, would you agree, or do you think it's just uh, the story is different from person to person? Well, I would say definitely the story is different from person to person. But I would say that one major theme that uh, every trans person deals with is having to deal with. Um, shall we uh, we could say heteronormative or uh, one word that, that kind of raises some hackles in some quarters is we could say cisgender normative and cisgender would mean uh, dealing you know, uh, people who are not trans who are uh, at ease with their uh, birth gender and um, so if, even if you're dealing with the gay and lesbian community, uh, you've got GLBT, and the T is usually kind of off there. Nobody quite knew what to do with the T section of that. Mm-hmm. Um, to be gay or lesbian, and I do not mean this to diminish any of the problems that they have had, but it is very, you know, you can be gay or lesbian, and it doesn't show on the outside. To be trans almost by its definition, means that you are going to change your gender markers and you're right. going to uh, present the markers of uh, that gender that is not necessarily the gender you were born into. Yeah. That, uh, that does create a problem. Um, I saw a, um, a meme on Facebook not long ago that said, uh, transition is just transition. It's not a metamorphosis. Well, for me, no, it's not a metamorphosis. It is a fulfillment. But for the people around me, yes, it is a metamorphosis. Because I am going from being uh, the person that they perceived uh, for, and I'm 63 years old, so people have been doing a lot of perceiving. And uh, I end up becoming what to that person might be a totally different person. That well, creates it throws, it throws people off balance, you know. It it you know, suddenly well, everything with they their thought reality. they knew. Mm-hmm. We we are supposed to in um in human society pretty much uh we're supposed to be able to look at an individual and say that person is male or that person is female, that person is a man, that person is a woman. And if we change that, then that creates, um, that does create stress. Unfortunately, 
for some of us in I would I don't want to give the percentage of the population because it always seems to change with every every time I look it up. But for those of us who are transgender, our norm, our uh, position of comfort, our position of being ourselves does not fit the reality that has been put upon us. Well, do you think part of the problem, Jillian, is um, the narrow little boxes we have for gender? I mean, maybe the boxes really just need to be expanded, you know? I mean, it's because right now it's pretty black and white, and it's really a whole lot of gray. And maybe that's just starting to, um, you know, be the reality because suddenly this is all in the news. You know, you have Caitlin, you have, you know, all of these shows that are addressing it now. Um, You know, maybe people are just starting to grow up and realize that, uh, you know, gender is a lot more complicated than, you know, anyone ever thought before. A friend of mine a couple of months ago said, is gender determined by your physicality or by your um, spirit? And I said, yes. (laughs) Well, and don't forget, and maybe the words you're using mean the same thing. You said physicality, so that would be your body, you know. Uh, You said spirit. Mm -hmm. No? Yes, I said physicality and uh, spirit. Well, no, Energy. no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, yeah, 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 I know, but wait, I, I'm, I'm, I'm adding something to that. I'm adding a third thing to that. Okay. You know, physicality, um, spirit, which I would imagine maybe you mean your soul, um, but what about um, your energetic as well? You know, I mean, how many people? Um, I mean, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say for myself. You know, I know women who are so masculine that um, I don't. I think it's very hard to think of them as a woman. And I know men who are very feminine and soft, and it's hard to think of them as a man. You know, we don't always even stop to think about the energetic. So maybe that's the third thing. That sort of. I would say that's a very, and perhaps when I said spirit, I should have said energy or energetics. Okay. Um, I and to go back to the answer though, to without making a wisecrack like I did, although I think that was a valid wisecrack. Um, I think that they're always. Uh, I've especially since I started uh, thinking about doing uh, the presentation, uh, the Joseph Campbell Roundtable, I started looking very closely at gender as it shows up through human society. And there does seem to be, through almost every single culture, there is a uh, delineation. There are some cultures that have multiple genders. There are some, you know, five or six or seven genders. But most people do tend to fit either into the male or the female, and then those who don't fit are transgressing, and I'm not using that as a pejorative term, are crossing the boundary. And I do not really have a problem with that. There are some folks, both certainly within the cisgender community and also within the trans community, that have problems with folks who are, and there's a word for this, which is gender fluid. 
and yeah. that might be um, there's a uh, writer and um, uh, reporter by the name of um, Jacob um, Tobiah, who is a young person, uh, very, very bright, very talented, um, male-bodied, but does not identify as either male, male or female. And most of the time, um, wears their head short, uh, their hair short, um, but also you can see with a five o'clock shadow, but very often wearing a uh, woman's skirt suit and heels. And, of course, there's the comedian, Eddie Izzard, who calls himself an executive transvestite, but <laughs> does not present... I love that line. Um, when uh, when Eddie Izzard was out um, campaigning for the Labor Party, uh, he was campaigning in, again, a, a black woman's suit with a pencil skirt and stilettos and rocked them. Damn, I wish I could look like that. But... Um, <laughs> That's that, those would be examples of people who are gender fluid. My friend um, Rye Silverman, who is a local comedian out here, who I think is one of the funniest people I've ever met, and also one of the bravest people I've ever met, and she is um, is very open about being gender fluid, and um, I'm very very proud to know this person. So there are gender fluid people. I don't think I, uh, as an example for myself, I would not call myself gender fluid. Um, I do not do androgyny very well. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Well, you know, it's I hard to do androgyny the, when you're 63 years old. Well, I think part of the problem, um, oh, and I don't want to, and, and I don't mean problem, but part of the new awareness is. Even just learning the definitions, you know, um, cisgender, gender fluid, transgender, you know, I mean, they uh, there's so many different terms to use, and I don't know if we're all using them and meaning the same thing, you know. So that, that in itself is a, a place to start, you know. Well, let's start with that. Let's start with the word transgender. Um, that. Okay, we have to consider that with human beings, you've got your sexuality, and that is whoever turns you on and who you want to go to bed with. And then there is your gender, which is whether you identify as male or female, masculine, feminine, man, woman. Um, and in our Western society here, we have those two genders. The person who is transgender is the person who might have a male or female body, but their essence, their energy is of the other gender. And um, so that may manifest itself in a number of ways. And I could get in a lot of trouble for saying the way I'm saying with some people, talking the way I'm talking, because there are a number of people who don't like the word transgender and don't want to be identified as transgender, and I'll get to that in a second. Generally, though, when we look at this, we might look at it as a spectrum. And way over here, uh, where you can't see me gesturing, is 
um, on the left, you might have the person who is the, um, oh, perhaps an occasional male cross-dresser. And that person might do that because there's maybe some sexual arousal. And I think possibly because, I mean, I was just thinking about this today, why the sexual arousal? Because that is uh, an act, an action that is forbidden to that person. And when we forbid something, it, sometimes it becomes, it gains a sexual energy. Mm-hmm. But that person may identify under several layers of guilt and doubt, may identify as a woman, but is going to deny it and just simply dresses up on occasion. Mm-hmm. And as we go further and further, we might get into people who are gender fluid. We might get into the person who is bi-gendered, who uh, is uh, right smack in the middle and presents maybe one day as male, uh, another day as female. And uh, then as we go further and further, we get into people who are transsexual. And that is a person who uh, either comes to, after many, many years, and thinking about it and pondering and soul-searching, says, no, I am in the wrong physicality here. I need to change my body to fit my soul. And there may be thought that just might simply stop with the idea of saying, okay, I'm just going to present as a woman from this point on. And then there are those who start to take hormones and those who um, will go through a full uh, transformation. And the name for it started as sex change, which is not because it's not changing, you're, you're not, and it's not gender reassignment. Um, it's gender affirmation. And uh, I'm trying to remember the phrase that I just heard the other day for the first time, and which shows how behind the times I am on some of these things, uh, gender-affirming surgery. So that you are um, affirming who you are. And, that, and, and if we go further, we might have a person that goes into what is called deep stealth. This person is no longer, does no longer identify as being transgender. They're the person that has said, this is what I have been all my life. And what I have done is to have an operation that changes the, um, it, it's, it's kind of like fixing a hair whip, fixing a cleft palate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a hormonal imbalance that has caused my body to have the appearance of being male, and I have had to have reconstructed surgery in order for it to have its proper form. And I'm gesturing over to the right now. We might have a woman there, and I have a a very dear friend who um, is a, a professional woman with a husband, and a stepdaughter, and she does not want to think about anything trans because that has nothing to do with her. And so we're looking at an entire 
spectrum. And the people way over on the right, there are many of them that resent the people way over on the left because I don't want to be identified with those people over there. Right. And right. I can't see as I blame some of them because now that they've come to their fulfillment, they've got other things to do. Being trans is, it makes me maybe the most interesting person in 12 square blocks. But after a while, it gets a little tiresome to talk about. And yeah. after a while, I am simply a woman, and I'm doing what a woman does. Or as I'm looking at my apartment right now, neglecting to do what a woman does. <laughs> but so it- so I don't deal in stereotypes, but so I mean, so would you say? I, I mean, is it is it easy enough to just say, um, it, you know, it's like a woman trapped in a man's body? Uh, that is, or vice versa. I mean, it could go the other way too, yeah. right? Oh, definitely. I am doing. I am really giving short shrift to trans men, and trans men have. And I will say this about that: the surgery, the gender-affirming surgery that is done for a male to female is, even though it looks like a whole lot of work, it is actually more effective for uh, trans women than phalloplasty for trans men, unless they've done some major changes since the last time I talked to anybody. It's, it works up to a point but it is not – there are very many trans men who opt not to have the bottom surgery because it just doesn't do the job that it, that it would in the best of all possible worlds. To say they're trapped in a man's or woman's body, um, I think that that has been um, – kind of played out. I'm not too crazy about the term myself. Um, I might say more that I am trapped in a man's role and a man's man's presentation. And this is another problem that often happens for, uh, for people on either side is they become uh, depressed, resentful, um, that they feel they've been living a lie all their lives and uh, don't want to think of themselves as have, having ever been part of uh, or ever been that previous gender. Um, I, I have to... So, but but wait. Let's go back to the trapped okay. trapped in either body. Is the distinction there the reason why you don't want to say you are um, a woman trapped in a man's body is because your body is not just your genitals. Your genitals, you know, is just one part of your body. Is that the distinction? Oh, absolutely. Um, okay. Okay, but I, you have to but, but have say to... that though, because otherwise, right. you know, it's hard for somebody to, uh, you know, to uh, to not understand it otherwise, you know. And I think this is a very, very. I, I thank you for for bringing me to that because this is a very important point. I had dinner last night with a very dear friend um, in, in the goddess community, and we were talking about this very thing. And I said to her, "Do I 
do I um, emit male energy? And she said, not at all. For the women that I have known in the community and the people that I have associated with, even though I've not had gender-confirming surgery, I am a woman. Hmm. And the the woman is not so much trapped in my body, it just exists. And the body, as you say, it is, um, I mean, it could be seen. It's, it's a vehicle. Yeah. And we might tinker with our vehicle to make it more, uh, conform more to what we want. But, and Lord knows, I mean, there's certain things I would love to do. And, and, but I won't go into that right now. Um, but to be fully myself, I am already fully myself. So I'm not necessarily trapped. Um, I see. Yeah, I, 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 mean, does I that make a mean. little. Yeah, I, I believe so. And 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 as long as we're talking about the spectrum, I want to make sure I get this question in because I promised Christina on Facebook that uh, that I would ask you because she's not in our area to be able to come to your talk uh, or or uh-huh. the panel that we're going to be doing. Um, and she she wanted me to ask, um, you know, she she wanted to know where does hermaphrodite fit into all of this. Um, because, you know, on Facebook, you know, we were talking about, uh, and I know you're going to talk more about, you know, trans people and ancient cultures and, um, you know, uh, you know, Native Americans, Pacific Island, Greco-Roman, Hindu, you know, how trans people were seen as, mm-hmm. as magical beings. Christina says, um, are, are these the same as um, hermaphrodites? Are hermaphrodites and trans people, how are they the same or different? Well, first of all, I'd like to say, and this is there's a there's a whole nomenclature here that we have to kind of stick to. Um, the word hermaphrodite has, for one reason or another, uh, been it's gotten a bad connotation. Um, the term that is used now is intersex. Now I say that, and I just happened to last week meet an individual who is who identifies as hermaphrodite has both male and female genitalia and because uh, they are a um a student of mythology and uh hermaphroditos is the son daughter of hermes and aphrodite uh they said to me uh, what is the problem with that? And for myself, I don't have um, a linguistic problem with it. I think it's a fine, fine word, but it has been trashed a little bit, and I'm hoping that it can be reclaimed. But mm-hmm. a um, a person who is born intersex, uh, again, you've got a spectrum uh, that might have a... Um, well, perhaps a problem with chromosomes, with the body chemistry, uh, one thing or another, so that either externally or internally or both, this person may have the appearance of being one gender, but inside is actually the other. So, for example, you may have uh, a girl born, for all intents and purposes, you see this person as female, but when she reaches puberty, her body starts to 
um, get thicker, the voice starts to change. And, uh, and sometimes it, it's not that extreme, but we might find that instead of ovaries, this person actually has testes up inside, or vice versa. I know personally um, one person who during, uh, uh, who for all intents and purposes is male, but um, bloated every month, just got uh, cramps and, and bloated and so forth. And what was happening is that, and she, I'll use she because she has um, had gender reaffirming surgery, um, she had a uterus. And she was having a period, but there was no place for the fluid to go, so it had to right. be uh, subsumed back up into the body. And so there are any number of people who have these conditions. And what used to happen is when the doctors saw this at birth, say for example, a young girl was born and her clitoris is in, uh, they would go through, you know, with the parents, uh, the parents, this, this has to be normalized, and they would do an operation on that, on that person. Um, more and more intersex people are saying, stop doing this at birth. It's none of your business. It's our body, not yours. Stop trying to make us conform to your norm. I, I'll give and you an we'll analogy. Also, we'll- well, well. Also, too, okay. Jillian, don't you don't you run the risk that at birth, if a baby's born with uh, genitals that are confusing or both, and the doctor and the parents make the decision right then or there whether it's going to go male or female, they don't really know what how how the the baby is going to identify as it grows up. So they could choose the wrong gender, couldn't they? Absolutely. Uh, there was the story of a pair of twins, and uh, this was not a person who was born intersex. There was a problem, as I understand it, in circumcision, and um, the the male baby lost his penis. And the doctor said, "Oh, well, here, here's what we'll do," and they did a. Um, vaginoplasty, they gave the the child a vagina and raised the child as a girl. When the child reached adulthood, that child, that uh, person had been raised as a girl, said, no, no, this isn't right, this is not me. Ultimately, that uh, he went back to his birth gender, reverted to his birth gender, but ultimately committed suicide. Well, you know, um, just hearing you talk about this spectrum uh, of of gender, and I'm just going to say the spectrum of of the different types of gender, and and forgive me if I use the wrong language tonight because I'm still learning. Um, but that's you know, quite all right. I, we all are. You know, I, I think it it most people probably don't have a clue about all of this because it's sort of been a taboo subject. I mean, we're living in this um, culture where sex is taboo even. You know, uh, something as normal as sex is taboo. So for someone who, you know, is questioning their gender or maybe has both genitals or 
um, you know, or all the different types of descriptions you've given tonight. I mean, it's something that's really just sort of swept under the rug and not dealt with. And I think maybe that contributes to uh, the difficulty for everyone in society because if it were commonplace and people knew about it, it would take the stigma off. I, I mean, am I oversimplifying well, this? yes. Absolutely. I beg your pardon? Uh, I, I missed the last bit because I was talking over you. What did you um, just say? I, I think, you know, am I, I said, am I oversimplifying this or is it the stigma um, and, and the ignorance of thinking that there's the, – the, Okay, where all right, let me let me let me finish it thoroughly. I think it's the it's the it's the ignorance of not knowing that this exists for one thing, and the stigma then that gets attached to it because of our, you know, uh, Abrahamic, uh, you know, uh, you know, guilt and taboos and everything around sex. Um, you know, it, I I guess I'm wondering if I am I oversimplifying um why, you know, this is such a difficult subject? Well, I think you are, although I don't know if I want to lay it all at the at, at Abraham's door. Um, there are some verses in the Bible, and there's a fellow by the name of Peterson Toscano, and I wish that I had him on video because he's done some wonderful storytelling about trans images in the Bible. Uh, one of his ideas is that Joseph, with the coat of many colors, that that coat of many colors is the coat of a princess. But <laughs> I've, I would love to go in more into, as a matter of fact, I would love to see if you could get him on the show sometime, uh, and I'm going to try to connect you two. He's a wonderful, okay. wonderful person. Um, at any rate... Um, Let's put it this way. If I go, uh, what I have been doing is looking at other cultures that have not been touched by patriarchy, at least the the patriarchy that seems to have imbued uh, the entirety of Europe, Central Asia, uh, down into the Indian subcontinent, etc. And what I'm thinking of particularly right now is Native Americans. When the Europeans showed up on this continent and they saw the uh, the way that uh, certain tribes dealt with gender, they were absolutely shocked. And there are illustrations of these uh, catamites being thrown onto fires by the conquistadors and that sort of thing. And uh, the um, the missionaries were horrified by what they saw. Now, there were some things I think uh, Joseph Campbell talks about, for example, the sun, uh, the, the corn goddess ceremony in the Aztecs in which the, the girl is dressed in a, um, uh, as, a corn, uh, as a corn husk and is flayed alive and so forth. And I can imagine, you know, the Spanish padres going, Madre de Dios, these people are... Uh, devil worshippers and so forth. Well, there's you know human sacrifice. It happened, but what I'm talking about is a concept that has come to be known as two spirit. Um, there, 
I'm, I have a book right in front of me, which is very, very well written, but it's a little out of date in its, turn, its terms. It's called The Spirit and the Flesh by Walter L. Williams. And he constantly uses a word called berdash. And berdash is... Um, you're, you're, fading, or, you're fading. I'm losing some of your words occasionally. Oh, I don't Maybe, know why. Okay. Oh, okay, just make um, I, make sure you don't move your head away from the 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 phone, okay? Okay, well I've got it right up to my ear. Um Okay. Okay, the word that he uses is berdash, B E R D A C H E, which is a French term and it is a word used for a oh, let's say a um a homosexual prostitute, a gay prostitute. Um that kind of thing. It was a very pejorative term. And there are a lot of other different were used by Native American tribes. Um, and there's Winkta and Tlama and Nadla, Nadla's uh, uh, Navajo term. And these were people who were gender variant. And not only were they accepted in most tribes, they were treasured. When somebody, when a, when a young boy or a young woman um, is, shows a propensity, a lean, they would give them a test. And I was just reading about one test in which um, the child is put into a... Um, uh, a circle of reeds, and they set the reeds on fire. And in there with the child are the tools of the man or the tools of the woman. And when the child, uh, whatever tools the child runs out with, that is what that child's gender is going to be. And uh, very often these are, uh, not only is this person accepted as a man or a woman, but because they've got this transgression going from one from the physical over to their spirit, there is the assumption that they are in connection with the spirit world. And so we're talking about people now, as I said to to uh, on a panel recently, they'll say, "Oh, this kid is weird. Wow, all right, that's great." We're not only going to accept you as a woman, but you're going to be a medicine person. Yeah, because you're strange. And this <laughs> so, is the so wonderful is that, thing. Is, is that where we start to get into the shaman? Yes. Well, this is part of uh, shamanic ritual and can be found certainly throughout the Americas, but also is found among Siberian shamans. And uh, there's, are there are examples of this in Africa. Just about any place, from what I see, and I could be very much corrected here, and people are free to, you know, to correct me as much as I can. I can use the notes. Um, but from what I see in hunter-gatherer societies, which would be shamanistic, nobody is wasted you uh the person who has that different leaning that different propensity the what use can be made from that person and uh, i'll give you a, a for example one uh, particular person 
that has been on my mind for a long time. Will Roscoe wrote a uh, biography of her um, called The Zuni Man-Woman, and her name was Huihua. And Huihua uh, was from Zuni. She lived in the late 1800s. And um, there was a, a particular... Um, uh, anthropologist, of course, this is at the beginning of anthropology, uh, by the name of Matilda Cox Stevenson. And she lived among the Zuni. She became close friends with Huihua and brought Huihua to Washington in the 1880s. And while she was in Washington, she was just the, the, the belle of the ball. Everybody wanted to come and meet this fan, this this wonderful Zuni princess that was so intelligent, that was so uh, brave. There was one story about how uh, there were uh, a house that uh, she was staying in caught fire, and this was in the winter, and they looked around trying to find where Huihua had gone, and Huihua was up on the roof throwing snow around onto the fire uh, and just was... Uh, amazingly good-hearted and gracious, uh, was an exquisite weaver and potter, and uh, met President, Gar uh, President uh, Cleveland, I believe. And when she went back, and the, now one of the things that they were kind of surprised at is how tall she was. She was well over six feet. Um, when she went back to Zuni, a rival of Ms. Stevenson uh, said, you people are a bunch of fools. That was a man. And you have been, you've been duped. The Stevenson character has brought this, this man dressed as a woman to, to Washington. Well, the thing was, if you went back to Zuni, now, Huihua was a leader among her people. And she was prized because uh, of her wisdom, her judgment, her abilities as a craftsperson, and many, many other things. And uh, so, yes, she was a treasure among her people. Um, I'm told right now by my friend Melody that um, this is not necessarily Huihua, but if we go to what seems to be left of the Southwest Museum, um, there's only just a little bit left. There are some uh, examples of pottery there. And these, pot, these pots were made by two-spirit people. But instead of using she, which is what they would have preferred, when they uh, have listed their names, they use the masculine pronoun. Um, a two-spirit... How, how do, how do we know, the, though? I mean, are, do, they, do they list them uh, as the pottery by, uh, you know, by yes. transgender know, people? or? Yes, and I believe um, I would have to actually talk to Melody. I've been many, meaning to go over and take a look at that exhibit and uh, give them a piece of my mind. Um, but um, I believe it is mentioned that they are two-spirit, and uh, we're looking at male people, uh, male-bodied people, I have to say that, in female dress. Um, and these, very often, these are the potters. These are the weavers. Right. Right. So, um, 
Well, well, I like how Go you ahead. said, you know, in the ancient cultures, you know, no one was disposable. You know, it's everybody brought something to the table, and, you know, they they weren't going to just um, marginalize someone because, uh, you know, they didn't conform to, um, you know, the, the strict male-female gender roles. Uh, it, you know, no, it sounds like it just wasn't fact, a big deal this- to them. Actually, it's it's actually a, uh, it is a fairly big deal, but the other way around. These right. people are seen as negotiators. They are seen they are prized for their wisdom and the ability to see both sides. Well, you know, I've actually, um, you know, when the whole transgender thing, you know, uh, how it rears its head in our community and, you know, and, and you know, some people will say, well, uh, I mean, you know how it's been. And, you know, maybe if we have time, we can talk about that a little bit. I, I know it's been difficult uh-huh. for you because in some circles you're welcome and in some circles you're not. But, you know, I, I have always felt that the, the transgender person, the, the gender fluid, whatever term we want to use and, and as you said, you know, we know there's a wide spectrum. You know, it feels like they have, they can offer more insight. You know, maybe in that one vessel, you know, that one vessel, they carry more wisdom than the person who is definitely strictly male or definitely strictly female. You know, it, it feels like to me they bring more to the table. And, you know, I've just uh, always felt that way. That is very much the feeling, certainly, of uh, that I'm getting with my researches into Native American tradition, is that, yes, the two-spirit uh, has that ability. There's, I want to, uh, okay, can I tell a story? Sure, yeah. Okay, this is not a Native American story. It comes out of Ovid. And I found that it actually is not the earliest form of the story. But when I first started telling stories as Jillian, this was my first story. And it's the story of Tiresias. And are you still there? I'm here. I'm listening. Okay. Um, yeah, my, something kind of went through on my phone. When, when we look at uh, the Greek tragedies, uh, and particularly the um, uh, the Oedipus cycle by Sophocles, but also in other stories, there's this soothsayer named Tiresias who um, appears. And in Oedipus, when Oedipus is in total denial, he's saying, "Oh, the the we've got this um, plague that is." that is decimating our country. And the oracle at Delphi has said that the man who has killed King Laius must be punished. And I'm going to go out and find out who killed King Laius. And, of course, we all know who killed King Laius. At any rate, um, the the first person he wants to ask is Tiresias, the blind soothsayer who comes in and uh, Tiresias says, don't ask, do not delve into this. And uh, later on in the play Antigone, there is the, the same thing. And both um, Oedipus and later on Creon 
accused Tiresias of taking bribes and being corrupt, and the Greeks in the audience would have just gasped at that because Tiresias didn't lie. And the reason that Tiresias is who he is was that when he was a young man, he went out for a walk and saw two snakes coupling in the grass. And staff and killed one of the snakes and that snake was the female snake and Tiresias was transformed into a woman. Now this being ancient Greece and being a semaphobic society there wasn't a whole lot for Tiresias to do. Uh, certainly not give up her, didn't want to give up her freedom so she did the only thing that um, Uh, a free woman could do, she became a courtesan. And since she had been a man, she knew exactly what moves to make and was quite successful. And after a long and successful career, went out for a walk again and then saw two snakes again. She kills the male snake and now is transformed back into a man. And... As we can assume, she goes back home to purge, or he goes home to purge his wardrobe. And now Zeus and Hera are having their usual fight. And of course, this being late Greek, Hera comes off as the um, as the cuckolded wife who is um, giving Zeus what for because he's running around spreading his image all over Greece. And uh, Zeus says, well, darling, I made these creatures and they're, they, they need to be satisfied and so forth and making these excuses. And then he drops his bombshell and says, and of course, women enjoy sex more. And Zira, uh, Hera is just furious at this until Zeus says to Tiresias, could you step up here? Tiresias says, yes. Well, we're having an argument here, um, Uh, Hera and I as to who enjoys sex more you've been both a man and a woman who who enjoys sex more and Tiresias is is a little nervous about this and says well uh, men enjoy sex greatly but women enjoy it nine times more and Hera is furious and strikes him blind And Zeus, of course, is embarrassed by this and says, I'm I'm so sorry. Um, uh, There's not much I can do. Uh, I will, um, I'll tell you what, I'll give, I'll extend your life seven times that of mortal humans. Thank you, I'm blind. Uh, Well, all right then. Um, I will give you the ability, since I can't give you your sight, I will give you the ability to see the future, know the past, and the present. And so with this, Tiresias leaves and becomes this soothsayer and shows up, as I said, in all of these different myths. And uh, even when Odysseus is trying to get back to Ithaca, he has to go to Hades and talk to Tiresias and sacrifice a goat and give him the blood in order to get the information as to how to get back to Ithaca. So, so your your point being like, that this this was a ca- you know he was a character that was held in high regard in Greek society. He knew more than the gods. 
because he is mm-hmm. in both male and female. And right. even in this later Greek and Greco-Roman world that Ovid is writing in, we're talking about somebody that is, again, transgressive. Because of his experiences he uh, and the insight that he's given, he transcends human beings, but also transcends even Zeus uh, in certain respects at any rate. I've mm-hmm. been called on the carpet for saying things like that, but I, he's a very powerful character because right. of that. And I was just speaking with a friend about that uh, a couple of days ago, saying that this is something I think that when I first came out to myself, I said to myself, this is the story we should be listening to ourselves as trans men and women and not to be victims which very often we are, but in our own minds, no, we have the capability of having this wisdom and this Yeah, because even the gods are calling upon us for our wisdom. And that is exactly, by the way, what a a two-spirit would say. Uh, I am who I am because the spirits have summoned me to be this way. Right. Right. Well, um, before we run out of time, um, tell us about uh, the two spirits, if if that's the term we're going to use, um, that pop up in some of the other cultures besides Native American and uh, uh, and Greece. Well, of course, um, just recently um, I heard Dr. Reitfeldt talk about um, the uh, Diana of Ephesus, and of course her other name being Cabela, you had an entire priestesshood of Cabela that were transgender women. And this seems to have gone back very far. Uh, you very kindly, this, uh, uh, a couple, about a month ago, a few weeks ago, I heard James uh, Kimball um, give her speech on warrior women and she talked um, well you actually read the chapter and gave me some information having trouble, trouble hearing you Jillian your words are, are, uh, are disappearing can you repeat what you just said Is this, sorry about that I was uh, cradling my phone as I was picking up the book that, yeah um, about uh, Jeannie Davis Kimball that's what you were I think saying yeah. Exactly, and she refers to a grave in um, Afghanistan in a place called Tilyatepa, and um, there was a um, a grave there that had very obviously a male skeleton, but surrounded by female goods within the grave, and seemed very much to be a um, uh, of a spiritual kind. Now, I've got, that is from 100 BCE. I have also, as I'm looking through my notes here, uh, another record of a grave that was found just about 10 years ago in North Yorkshire of a in a Roman graveyard of a young person, male-bodied, but with jewelry and um, other women's accoutrement that most likely 
uh, would have been a Gale, uh, who would have been one of the uh, priestesses of Cabela. And mm-hmm. this would show how far that would have gone, because we're talking late Roman. We're probably looking at um, maybe about 200 BCE. And to go further back, at about 3000 BCE, in uh, 2011, the remains were found of, a uh, again, another male-bodied uh, priestess. This is in the outskirts of Prague. So you've got something that seems to have gone pretty far. Uh, From coast to coast. Romans. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we're starting, and the Hindus, of course, in don't Anatolia. Don't forget the Hindus. Well, yes. Um, now, I'm... Uh, I'm not seeing that necessarily as being exactly the same, uh, um, how can I say, lineage, spiritual lineage, as the Gale. But Oh, well, no, it's a totally have, different uh, spirituality, but it's still yes. the, the same phenomena of, of uh, what, transgender or two-spirit or whatever term we're going to use, right? Oh, absolutely. And what I find very interesting is the Gale come across uh, and and they've been adopted by uh, several modern-day trans women. Um, There is a matrium of Sabella in uh, upstate New York. Um, I believe the the woman that runs that is uh, Catherine Palantine. And, uh, but... I found it very interesting. There's a reference to Gale in um, Lucius Apulus's uh, comic novel, The Golden Ass. And Lucius Apulus was a um, Apulius was a priest of Isis. And in this story, uh, he is um, a bit of a wastrel and uh, ends up making a pass at the wrong woman who is an enchantress and turns him into a donkey. And he goes on this adventure trying to be turned back into a human being. In, and on the adventure, he meets, for example, Christian, who comes across as a drunk, and he meets a group of Galae who sound like a bunch of noisy drag queens. And, of course, he's ridiculing all these other religions until he finally... Uh, connects with the uh, procession of the goddess Isis, who brings him back to his human form, and um, who, um, um, how can I say it, uh, <sighs> renews him. The, yeah. What I see in these galae is what I, one also sees with the hijra in India, with the idea of dancing, and uh, making um, making a lot of noise. Uh, so I would see the, the there's I would not be surprised if there is if we go back far enough a similarity to this of the idea of of um, loud music um, and uh, slightly outrageous behavior. Now what you've got interestingly enough in the uh, in in that the Hijra today, um, there's a kind of grudging um, 
um, what word am I looking for? Uh, a grudging respect for them. Uh, you have a hijra who comes to your child's naming. You have their, uh, you have a hijra who blesses your wedding. But on the whole, uh, people tend to look down on them, which seems to be a byproduct of uh, both the patriarchal, the later patriarchal society, and also colonialism, which comes in and you know screws up everybody's good time. Um, I would think that if we went back far enough that they had a much stronger position and a much more respected position in uh, Hindu society. There's a story in the Mahabharata of uh, one of the uh, hero brothers who are the Pandavas. And this is kind of like almost the Hercules of, of Indian uh, stories. And his name is Arjun. And he is in exile for 14 years. As he is wandering, he is the son of Indra, and he goes to his father's house. And there, his uh, Indra greets him and uh, makes him welcome. And he says to his daughter, Urvashi, uh, come, take, take this, my son, to your, uh, to your bed. And uh, Indra is very, very uh, meek and mild in front of Urvashi. And he says, no, I couldn't. You are the mother of my Kurava race. And she says, oh, you're going to treat me that way. All right. And I will make a woman of you. And she puts a curse and makes him a Mihishra. Um, Indra is able to mitigate it, so it's only for the last... Um, year of his exile. But I say curse, but I don't know that this is necessarily a curse. Um, as a hijra, um, Indra, uh, um, Arjun teaches dancing and teaches music and is and represents the, uh, the arts. And I think this is an important point uh, that one finds not just in India, but I, I, I know that um, I'm making a bit of a leap here. But if I look at, say, for example, the arts of Bushido in Japan, in order to be a proper samurai, not only should you know how to use the sword, but you should be able to arrange flowers, and you should be able to write poetry, and you should be able to dance and do calligraphy. So... Um, in, if I go Sounds back like it's to about the Mahabharata or, or we, is that where we're going? It's, a, it's about wholeness and I would say it's about wholeness and it's also but it's, uh, and I say it's also about insight I yeah. find it very interesting that it is Arjun to whom uh, Krishna gives the Bhagavad Gita it's as if being the hijra has allowed him to have the sensitivity and the wisdom to be given this learning. Right, right. No, that so, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's my interpretation of it, but I, I think it's a valid interpretation. 
Because like um, you said before, you're not sure it was really a curse because look uh, look at the things he was afforded or she was afforded because now she was transformed. Exactly. It didn't sound like exactly. things that were a curse. I do not see, and I'm. Uh, and are we getting close to the end here? I'm not looking at my clock. Uh, yeah, we have about um, ten minutes left, so we're going to wrap this up. And I want to talk a little bit about you personally. So, um, all right. Well, there is so much more here. I've only just scratched the surface, and of course, I'm 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 worrying right now how many people are going to be sending in emails saying you got this wrong, you got this wrong, you didn't mention this, and so forth. There is it is a very very rich, un- almost untapped uh, source of information, um, and there are many people out there that are. Uh, writing about this and that are far better experts than I am. But I find that it's very important for me to to at least uh, start uh, getting this word out. That uh, And I think it's important on two levels. I think it's important that the the general populace realize that trans people are not freaks. We are not uh, we're, we're not over uh, concerned with sex, we are, on one level, ordinary people. I am, whether I, as as a woman, I am still a teacher of 30 years, an English teacher, a filmmaker, and a parent of two grown daughters. And um, there is that. But right. I also, I do feel that I have been given a unique gift that I'm still learning about. I'm still learning about myself as a woman, and I'm still looking back and trying to understand about what it is to be a man. And I don't think I'd be even asking these questions if I were not a trans woman. Right, but right. trans woman also should be a couple levels down. I've got a lot of things that I am as well. Um, so, yes, this is a gift, I think. It's it's a gift with, uh, but it's 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 got its white elephant attributes. I gotta say. Yeah, it's it's not without it's not without its challenges. Well, you know, Jillian, I kind of think you know maybe as our society is is evolving, you know, it's time for humanity to grow up. You know, uh, maybe even reclaim some of the wisdom we once had and lost. And that's part of what this discovery is, you know, not just for the people who are going through uh, transition, but for the rest of society as we figure out um, how we all, you know, need to exist together and how we all how we all fit. And the fact that, you know, folks like you, you know, bring a lot to the table that, um, you know, maybe other people didn't even think about. You know, like you said before, it's a different it's a different perspective. It's a different insight. You know, maybe it's more about wholeness uh, than some other people have the ability, um, you know, to bring to the table. But, you know, that said, uh, because I know we're starting to get short on time, you prefer uh, the term emanation of the divine feminine to other terms. <laughs> Do you want to briefly m- maybe speak to that? That's Part of that is me being a smartass. I do not like the uh, – I think that so many of the terms that we are given 
are so sterile and so and and not affirming at all. Um, I agree. I'm so glad we don't use the word transvestite anymore. That is one of the most ugly sounding words. And I don't when like I hermaphrodite either. I, I don't. I don't like hermaphrodite. Well, I like it's, hermaphrodite because it's, you? it's, you've got two gods in there. Well, you know? I know, it's, but, it's, there, but it, it comes that, with that, a lot of baggage. You know, it, well, this I, is I the think problem. It, it, what? Well, look, I woke up of two years ago, woke up one a few years ago and found out that the word tranny is a slur. That surprised okay. me. I don't yeah. use it, but but a lot of people are, you know, and here's the sad thing is that it came out of the trans community. Yeah. It started in the trans community and then it was taken and made into a slur. Now, what's also happened is that the word queer has been re- reclaimed. So mm-hmm. that it, you know, you're a queer. Damn right I am, and I'm proud of it. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it's there. So uh, as I said, to reclaim, you know, some I think some words have to be reclaimed. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not totally um, espoused to tranny, but I do kind of like the word hermaphrodite. But that's not for me to say. That is for yeah. the, for the intersex community to say whether they want that or not. And uh, well, I, I have to I, I mean, that. look, it, it's, you know, I, I, you know, I, I am not a, a trans person, but I kind of think the term gender fluid has a, um, it, it, it doesn't seem to have the, um, the negative connotations attached to it. But yet I think Very it true. says, it says so much. You know, it says the gender is not static, that it, you know, it can flow either direction. Because you think about the people who are still trying to find themselves. I mean, they may try try something on for a while, and that's not exactly right, so they got to shift gears a little bit. So it, it well, I feel yes. like enables them to experiment and find themselves. And that's exactly what that word does. It does allow for the experimentation and for uh, for that fluidity. But yeah. you've got to keep in mind that there are a lot of trans women and trans men that are not fluid. Um, I would not. I would not. As I said, I don't call myself gender fluid because I am not. Um, it's uh, there are, but I know those who are, and so that word works for them. Um, I don't know that we're going around shopping for a new term for transgender or trans man or trans woman right now, but I like, I, I do say, as I have listed myself a couple times uh, when they said, what is your gender presentation? I've listed myself, emanation of the divine feminine. But just like the uh, title of this talk, uh, the reclamation of a maligned wisdom it has too damn many syllables, um, <laughs> but I like that. I like the idea that there is something uh, that I have kind of tapped into, and uh, that's the reason I use that word. Am I going to use it? Uh, but I still use the word trans woman and transgender, right. and well, that is how. Well, I think and- when you. Eat- I think when you use emanation of the divine feminine, you are not just reminding yourself, but you are reminding others that just as when, you know, straight pe you know, heterosexual people, men or women say, 
uh, I am I am a spark of the divine. Um, you know, yes. I am part of the divine. Uh, you know, uh, it's it sort of it, to me, it's sort of saying the same thing. Yes, I may be different, but I too am also a spark or an emanation of of the divine feminine. You know, um, you and know, that's that, that you, how I have. And I, yeah, I have to say that within women's circles, and I am been very very grateful to be having been invited into women's spiritual space. You've been one of the people who has done that, and I would also uh, say to Jane DeMent and Anitra and many other, um, uh, Anitra Wavenmoon and others who have invited me into women's sacred spaces. And that has been very profoundly fulfilling. And... um, and not just personally fulfilling, I feel that I am part of that, that I am a woman among women. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the important thing that has to be uh, that uh, to see in all of these ancient uh, traditions, is that the person is not just a, a the, the two-spirit is not just uh, a, uh, a two-spirit, but also accepted and respected as a woman of the tribe. Right. Um, well, I, I think re- that, Jillian, you know, one of the things that I always run into when I am trying to um, try to encourage the community to be inclusive of whether it be men or whether it be trans people, what, you know, the pushback is always, well, how can they say they're women, they don't know what it's like to be a woman, you know, they haven't had a baby, they haven't had menses, they haven't experienced the sexism and the discrimination that women experience. So how can they say they're women? So what's the best way to answer that? Well, first of all, I brought that up to a female therapist many years ago. And I said, how can I do this? I haven't, I, you know, I don't have a period. I, I can't give birth. I haven't got a vagina, et cetera, et cetera. And she says, there are women who don't have periods. There are women who have, you know, if we go into the, the, the whole idea of the people who are born intersex, there are women who do not, were not were born without a uterus. There mm-hmm. are women who... You know, and so once we start, what is left is the energy. And uh, I do have to say, um, one of the big um, controversies for the trans community has been the um, exclusion of trans women from, and I won't give the name of it, but from a major women's music festival in the Midwest. And, um, yeah, how could I, would I want to go into a trans-exclusive space? No, I don't want to go there. Sorry, if if I'm not invited, I don't want to be there. And uh, would I want to force myself into a space where, for one reason or another, my energy makes somebody else uncomfortable? No, I would not do that. But I would want the people who are excluding me to reconsider. Um, when I was, uh, one of the books that I've been looking at here is called Gender and, Trans, uh, Gender and Transgender in Feminism. 
And uh, this was um, uh, the impetus for this book was a bit of hoopla at um, a, a Pantheacon, uh, apparently back in 2011, uh, that started some of the problems uh, where trans women were excluded from certain circles. And one of the essays in here, and again, I won't name the author. I think she's fairly well known in the pagan community. But she goes down to the whole idea of chromosomes and, and uh, physicality. I don't think you can do that. We've mm-hmm. already established that there are certain women that have an extra chromosome. There are mm-hmm. certain women that are not genetically women. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's one other little thing I would also... I, I can't make a claim to that because, you know, I don't have a, um, a set of ovaries uh, or anything. But there was, and I'm trying to find my notes on that. I had pulled it up here on the computer. I believe it's DES. There it is. It's uh, DES or di, uh, diethylstilbestrol. Diethylstilbestrol. And this is a synthetic uh, estrogen that was given to women uh, from about 1940, first synthesized in 1938, and from about 1940 to 1971, it was given to pregnant women in the mistaken belief that it would reduce the risk of pregnancy uh, complications and losses. In women, this has created, uh, among baby boomers, has created all kinds of havoc with uh, women's uh, physicalities, uh, creating uh, vaginal cervical cancer, other things like that. But there is also a theory um, that you've got a bunch of trans women now because their mothers were given DES during that time. Interesting. That from 1940 to 1971, we have... Um, anywhere from brain structure or brain chemistry down to the physicality of the, uh, of, of the body itself, that you have um, uh, male-bodied women. Well, and, 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 and you know, in, in, again, you know, for me it comes down to something one of my circle sisters said, you know, uh, because she is uh, trying to start a temple where uh, she wants trans people, uh, trans women to feel comfortable. And, you know, when she was trying to defend her position to some other women who were saying, you know, how can you do that? You know, you should protect women's only sacred space. And, you know, these aren't really women. You know, she said, I am not going to sit in judgment of these people who, in their soul, they believe they're female. You know, it's not my place mm-hmm. to do that. And you know, and and to us, and I and I think really, Jillian, that's really what it comes down to. You know, I mean, if you if if you feel like you know you're a woman, then who am I to say you're not? Uh, you know, because again, well, it's not just the genitals; it's the energetic. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I think that that's overlooked too often. I think what we need, and I think this is what's 
in, in and we've talked about this in other societies. Uh, for for example, with two spirits, there is a ceremony that acknowledges the womanhood, the femalehood of mm-hmm. that two spirit person or the malehood. Mm-hmm. And what I have felt, and this is only for myself, but I have felt over the past several years that I have had my womanhood bestowed upon me. Part of it is, this is all, you know, so much of it is spiritual, but so much of it is social. To, to, for, for, for a woman like me to go into a restaurant and for the waiter to say, um, uh, how can I help you, ladies? That is affirming. And mm-hmm. part of what we look for is the ma'am, the ladies, and so forth. That affirms who we are. Right. Uh, you cannot be one or another gender in a vacuum. Yeah. And so the, it's the affirmation of it. What right. I would also like to say, and I know we're running out of time, but the part, I had said earlier that part of what I'm trying to do is to let the, the cisgender or the non-trans population know about this. But so many of my trans sisters have just totally given up with so much... Um, so much bigotry, so much hatred that is uh, thrown at them by the religious communities that they have just simply become atheists and have and, and some of the most adamant atheists I know are trans women and some of it I know is just uh, atheism seems to be uh, now what the New Age philosophies were t- ten years ago. You know, there's a lot of of popularity in atheism now, but I think yeah. there's a lot of of uh, disparate desperation, a lot yeah. of despair. I, well, and that's and, that's really sad, you know, because I I I can only imagine the pain of uh, not being able to be true to yourself and be accepted in society for who you really are. I mean, really, that mm-hmm. that you know, that rejection at that most basic level um, has to affect a person on so many levels. You know, self hatred and um, you know, self esteem and I mean, just all sorts of things. And I, I just uh-huh. can't imagine being someone who would uh, perpetuate that sort of suffering. Uh, on on somebody else. I mean, what's it to me? What's it to somebody else? How you identify? I mean, you know. I mean, seriously. Um, I, I I don't think anybody should sit in judgment. You know, there should just be a lot more tolerance and acceptance and trust. And you know, what was that old expression? Different strokes for different folks. You know, just let people be who they need to be and forget about well, it. I was you know? saying to I was saying I was saying to somebody a couple of weeks ago that if more people evinced curiosity than judgment, then uh, this would be a nicer place. Well, Ask and, me. And, and, and yeah. you know, Jillian, I think things are transitioning. I think this is going to be a process. And I think as people like, you know, um, you know Bruce Jenner, uh, you know, has, has, has transitioned, uh, and these these new TV shows we have on, and you know, for the life of me, I can't recall the name of it in the moment, but it was this um, uh, Showtime special that was on just recently, and the Dorian Gray character 
uh, had a trans um, girlfriend, uh, you know, a trans trans woman girlfriend. I mean, this is this is oh, becoming was that, uh, Penny Dreadful. Yes, Penny Dreadful. Thank you. I mean, you know, this is becoming a hot topic, and I, I don't know. I think that I think what's going to happen is the same thing that happened with the gay community. You know, eventually, it's all going to just be what well, was the big deal. You know, but I think we just have to get through this learning curve and this acceptance curve, uh, and it's just going to take a little bit more time. You know, I think the gay I, people I have achieved my- what. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I I, I was uh, I was interrupting. Finish, please finish. I, I I was just saying. I think the gay people have you know have achieved a lot of what they needed to achieve, and the trans people are next. You know, and uh, and I and I think really when some of these women who are resistant to trans women see trans women as their allies fighting side by side with them for equal pay and fighting sexism with them. Um, And I think, you know, people like you will, that, um, you know, then we all become, you know, we all become a team fighting the real enemy instead of each other. Well, that opens up a whole other door that maybe we could talk about on another time because there is a great deal of of politics involved in that and um, not something I'm really prepared to address right now. Um, Okay. I was, though, talking, I was about to say I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago that I would love to see the time when we become mundane where and and it's becoming that way um i don't pass as well as i'd like to um and people can see me coming they they know that i am a trans woman but i have not been insulted to my face yet and i considered that you know i have been treated where i go i get treated the the way i am in a rather dumpy 63-year-old lady, and uh, fine with me. Um, I don't mind being mundane. I like the mundane, everyday life of a woman my age. However, I hope we never lose our magic, because (laughs) no matter what we are, we are still magical. All women, all people are magical, but we're magicaler. (laughs) <laughs> well, and you know what? Don't forget, you know, if that insult does ever uh, get lobbed at you, you know, we none of us are immune from that. You know, whether we're fat or whether we're effeminate or, you know, people are going to find something to say about us no matter what. So, you know, you just got to let it roll off your uh, roll off your back, you know. And, Karen, uh, I am... I am lucky and I am blessed because on the 20th of November every year is the Transgender Day of Remembrance. And that is the day that we remember all of the trans people that were killed simply because they were trans. Mm. And it is a horrendous number across the world of women, girls, and men who are killed 
simply because they happen to be trans. And I have to say that um, a couple of weeks ago, I had been editing film at a friend's place, left very early in the morning. And as I was walking to my car, I knew what my danger was. And this happens. It has been, for the longest time, open season on anyone who is male-bodied and presents as male and is found out. And for the longest time, if a trans woman was killed by a man who felt he had been fooled by her, the jury would not convict. That was seen as a crime of passion. And, um, I mean, I can think right immediately of Guanarajo, who was beaten to death by two men when they found out that she was trans. And, but I could, you know, the, the, the number goes on and on. There was uh, several years ago, but it could still happen. There was a trans woman who was in a car accident in New York. And when the um, emergency crew got there and saw that she was trans, they backed off and didn't give her treatment. Wow. There are some parts in, the, in this country where a trans person cannot get treatment in a hospital. Well, you know, there are and, some places in this country gays are still abominations and women are chattel exactly. and, you know, incu- mm-hmm. the incubator for male seeds. So we've got a lot of ignorance in this country that we have to overcome, you know. Um, exactly. I mean, we really do. I mean, look at look at the uh, the parts of the country where, uh, you know, a woman has to submit to her husband and domestic violence is no big deal, you know, spousal rape is no big deal. Now, granted, I know you're talking about life or death, but um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fearful, ignorant people out there, and uh, you know, there certainly uh, are. You know, shows like this maybe uh, can help raise some awareness. And you know, I I, I want to thank you for. Um, you know, having the courage to come on and talk about some of this. And, I mean, I realize we only sort of uh, scraped, uh, you know, the tip of this. You know, there's so many more layers to it. But, you know, we've started the conversation. And mm-hmm. um, I'm I, I'm looking forward to uh, our panel at the Goddess Spirit Rising coming up in the middle of September and also your talk at the Goddess Temple on the 5th of uh the 5th of September, I invite listeners in the area to come and, you know, hear more, uh, you know, that we didn't get a chance to get into, you know, more about the folklore and the mythology and the religion. And, um, I'll have pictures and stories. Good, good, good. And you might want to mention your two websites uh, in case listeners, uh, you know, would like to know uh, more about your um, uh, your graphic novel and... Um, uh, I, I yes. believe it's geniality. Yeah, go go ahead and, yes. and mention okay. those, Jillian. All right. Well, first of all, uh, it is C A L O G R E N A N T dot com, Calogrenant dot com, and that is the website where um, the webcomic is. And I want to put in a little plug. We are on today is Wednesday. We have. Thursday and Friday, we are doing a Kickstarter campaign to bring out the first Cologrenant book. It's Cologrenant Book the First, Oh, What a Night, and we're going to bring that out as a um, 90 to 100-page comic, 
and uh, we made our quota, but if you want to get some of the nifty premium, it's still available to uh, to donate. And then um, my blog is Myth Congeniality, M-Y-T-H-C-O-N-G-E-N-I-A-L-I-T-Y. I think I spelled that right. And um, I hate to say it, I have not, I'm going to have to start cranking that up again. But if you look at the, um, I've got some uh, essays earlier on until I started drawing the webcomic. Um, and it's, uh, it's, that's been a wonderful experience. And uh, I do have to say that my connections with you and the other women in the feminist spirituality community have colored uh, what I've drawn and written in Cologrenant. And so thank you all for that. And I, as long as I'm here, I would like to say to um, uh, say another thank you to um, Ava, who's going to be with us on the panel in Simi Valley. Um, it was at uh, the uh, ISIS birthday celebration that you had several years ago at the Goddess Temple in, uh, in Costa Mesa, where I really first told stories to the uh, spiritual feminist community. And that was a very, very stilted day, such a, one of the most profound times of my life. But I would also like to thank, um, when I first coming out to myself as a trans woman, I had already been telling stories, and I started telling stories in the trans community. And uh, that was where uh, a cisgender woman by the name of Melody Friend happened to see me telling stories and was the one who introduced me to this wonderful, generous, and uh, loving community. And so you four, uh, you three women are just, I am so blessed to know you. Well, we value you. We always have. And um, and you're welcome. You know, you, uh, you, you have been an integral part uh, to our community, and uh, you know we've always uh, felt like we wanted you there with uh, with open arms, and uh, we are looking forward to. I know we talked about starting to create these, you know, ceremonies uh, for trans people, you know, initiation ceremonies, and uh, um, you know, I, I maybe even having them uh, there at the Goddess Temple, and uh, I think that's that's the next step for us and you know we're you know we're we're blazing a trail on so many levels you know whether it be teaching people about the sacred feminine or um you know i, I mean there's just so many things we're we're trying to do to raise awareness of human beings <laughs> and um well, bless you know you. we 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 just uh you know we we're just going to keep doing it and uh you know i i think uh, i'm looking forward to these uh, ceremonies that we're going to do for trans people so that they can feel that validation and uh you know have that that rebirth you know that they need uh you know to to help them you know feel like this new life um is something sacred and and accepted and uh you know, it, it doesn't have to be this maligned um, lifestyle, or I, I, I'm struggling for the words, but I think you know what I mean. You know, we want to yeah. we want to put a positive spin on this. You know, because people deserve that. You know, you know, people des- deserve to be who they are, and uh, no one should pass judgment. You know, on them. So, and 
I agree. I agree. And I think that there is so much, uh, when I think of my sisters and the people that I, these people that I know, there is so much we have to offer if we will simply be, first of all, listened to. But I, I know people that should be more than just listened to. That they should be honored. Well, anyway, Agreed. I could go on Agreed. with that. Well, thank you, Jillian, and uh, I look forward to seeing you very soon. And uh, again, September 5th at the Goddess Temple for anyone's listening and who wants to meet you and uh, hear more about the folklore and the mythology and the religion and the great uh, slide presentation you're going to uh, put together. And then um, and then the following week at uh, Goddess Spirit Rising. So we have uh, mm-hmm. uh, some. We're going to be busy the next few weeks here. <laughs> So, and then um, so in November, I'm also going to be at the, the Venice Public Library, uh, I understand. Uh, I think that's November 7th. Yes, yes. Uh, thank you for saying that because I don't have the November calendar in front of me. But then, yes, you're going to repeat the same topic down in Venice for those who, um, you know, uh, that way you're doing it in both parts of town, in both Venice and in uh, Orange County. So, Indeed. Um, well, well, Jillian, thank you very much, and uh, you're, you're so creative, and you have so much to offer, and, uh, you know, I, I'm glad to, you know, to, to help you, um, you know, to help you birth that out into the world. So, um, well, thank I you will so see much, you and thank you for the opportunity, and see Okey you soon. Doke. All right, Be then. Blessed. Good night. Good night. Well, dear listeners, I hope uh, you uh, enjoyed tonight's conversation. Uh, Maybe it's some things you've heard before. Maybe it was some new stuff. You know, maybe we've planted some seeds and there's some things that, uh, uh, you know, that you want to look into. Um, So anyway, uh, again, you know, the websites for uh, for Jillian or mythcongeniality.blogspot.com and uh www dot uh c a l o g r e n a n t uh dot com. Um moving on, um before uh I share uh, uh this commercial from Joe Carson, I had some other new news that um I I wanted you to know about. Uh if you go to my website now, uh com, and you go to the goddess store page, there are new free meditations. There are actually four of them. Uh, so be uh, some of the first uh, to check them out and uh, and use them and enjoy them. Uh, one of uh, my listeners uh, was kind enough to take some of the meditations out of my Goddess Calling book and actually uh, put them on YouTube, um, you know, for her use and for the use of anyone that uh, wanted to, um, you know, to avail themselves of uh, of, of that, uh, of those uh, of those meditations. So I I thank her for the kind gesture. Uh, so again, you can find them at KarenTate.com at the Goddess Store page. Um, as I said, four new uh, brand new meditations are right there for. Uh, you to use. Also, I just got a great review for uh, my Voices of the Sacred Feminine anthology in Sage Woman magazine, which is uh, uh, about to be coming out uh, very soon. Uh, Both uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine and Goddess Calling um, have both cleared some uh, sales hurdles. 
according to uh, July sales reports. Uh, and if you're new to the show, um, uh, uh, let me tell you a little bit about my new book that's titled God is Calling. I believe it sort of fills the gap in the lack of devotional and inspirational literature uh, within you know, the uh, growing movement of God is Spirituality as, uh, as we learn that um, goddess mythology actually is the sacred uh, feminine liberation theology of our time. You know, the values of the sacred feminine do set us free, uh, set us free from sexism, exploitation, um, you know, all the isms, the, uh, you know, the, the all, all of the, all of the ugliness that the patriarchy has, um, it has, brought to the world, I think, the sacred feminine liberation theology tempers. And, uh, you know, it, it brings into the world nurturing and caring and sharing and partnership and justice and equality, you know, rather than the domination that comes with patriarchy. And, you know, those of us who know this, you know, we're proud to say we're in the cognitive minority, uh, helping shift the world um, you know, by being who we are and walking our talk and believing what we believe. You know, we are the men and women changing the world. And, you know, when things feel like they're getting tough, uh, you know, you can remember the words of the 19th century German philosopher, author Schopenhauer, who said, uh, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. And third, it's accepted for being self-evident. And uh, and don't forget uh, what Gandhi said, too, you know, because I believe we're living this. They, he said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And I do believe that that is the road we're traveling, that that we will win uh, this, this battle of um, raising vibration and... Um, helping people become more enlightened uh, to accept some of the ideas that we're talking about to change society and change the world. So uh, before we run out of time here, uh, we have a word from Joe Carson, uh, but come back uh, for the closing. Don't go away. Well, why do we not hear that? That's interesting. Hmm. Looks like we have a little glitch in the audio. Let me see if I can do anything about that. Hmm. Well, that is so bizarre. Let me try one other thing. Well, I apologize, listeners. I cannot... um, can't do anything about that. I can't play the commercial. I'll have to do it another time. Well, I guess uh, the show uh, will come to a close then. Uh, Again, I want to thank you for uh, being with us tonight. Uh, Next week, I'll have with me uh, Marilyn Steele, and then the last Wednesday of the month, Tabby Biddle. So, I think that about does it for tonight, dear listeners. Remember, you are the gas in my tank. I hope you will uh, continue to um, listen and share news of the show. And uh, please go to my Facebook page and uh, take the link there and uh, share it with your friends. 
All right. I, there's the warning. That's about it. So may Goddess embrace you in her golden wings. Have a wonderful weekend and have a wonderful summer. Until next week, good night. Karen?